This is your host, Natalie Allport, former national team athlete and entrepreneur, and welcome to the All In Podcast, where I share stories, interviews, and advice with the goal of helping you go all in. Hey. Hey, Natalie. How you doing? Good. Yourself? Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. I know you said this is your first Instagram live interview, so thank you. It's kind of crazy because I do so many interviews and podcasts and live streams, but I've never done an Instagram uh, live interview. So this is cool. Awesome. Well, I'm, I'm glad to, uh, to be the first and, and get to chat with you right here on this platform. Yeah, well, thank you. So, uh, yeah, I know we set this up uh, uh, almost, yeah, I guess, a week and a half ago or two weeks ago. And I've been excited to connect because I've been following your post about, you know, you being an athlete entrepreneur. And I think uh, some of the people I've chatted to recently have been, you know, really recent athlete entrepreneurs. And, and your story will be very unique because you've, you've been at this for a long time. Um, mm. And even before the days of social media and how, how it is now. So, yeah, I'm really, really excited to chat. And um, for those who are joining who might be from my audience and, and don't know who JJ is, he is a nine-year NFL veteran. And now he is a keynote speaker and a mindset coach and doing awesome things in, in the entrepreneurship world coming from the athletic background. So, yeah, thanks again for, for coming on. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's always a privilege to be able to uh... – one, connect with new people, share your message, and hopefully you can share something that might help someone take their performance or hit those goals that are important to them, you know? Yeah, no, that's so awesome. So I, yeah, I, for those who are tuning in, we're going to really chat a lot about the, um, or hopefully chat a lot about the athlete to entrepreneur transition and, and what you're doing now. But I would love to start with, you know, going back to the beginning and I had a chance to read your website and I know you had a section where it went underdog to alpha dog. And <laughs> I, I really like that because I could see yeah, that you, you put your story about how you were a smaller athlete. And when I grew up, I went through a very late growth spurt. So it was the same thing. My motto was like, it's not how big you are. It's how big you play. Right. Right. Yeah. That's, that's been my life story. I was always a little guy from grade school, from junior high to high school. Even when I got to the NFL. Uh, so I guess you could say I always played with a chip on my shoulder. <laughs> Yeah, I, I could see that. I know that, you know, growing up as, as a smaller athlete and for any smaller athletes that I see coming up, they have to work that much harder, especially when their sport demands a larger athlete. So how w- would you like to share a little bit about how you manage that and how you turned into the amazing athlete that you did, you know, maybe having that underdog, um, of, yeah. I guess, growing up as an underdog? Yeah. Well, I mean, instinctively, I, I always had the drive. I was always naturally a hard worker and and uh, gifted athletically too. Um, but early on, it's like every time I, you know, embarked on the next phase, whether it's athletics, let's, let's say athletics and college, or excuse me, junior high and high school, there was always that, well, you're kind of small, so let's put you over here. Or you're kind of small, maybe you shouldn't do that. And it was always like, <laughs> I'm going to show you how small I am. And I would work to prove everyone wrong. And it wasn't like to become a professional athlete. It just, it just kept happening as I kept working hard, I kept getting better, proving people wrong, that doorway opened up. But, but yeah, back in high school was when I had that first moment where I was like, okay, I'm going to show them because I was a uh, track and field athlete. I was the number one wide receiver in the state of Oregon. I had a really good year, but when the college coaches came around to recruit football players, the D one schools, just, they just, wrote me off. They're like, nope, no way, no way. 
And I, I experienced enough of that that I just, I, I formed a plan and I thought, you know what? I know I'm a D1 track athlete because I was one of the top long jumpers in the state. I'm going to figure out how I can get on a college football team and whatever track team recruits me, I'm going to ask them, what do you think about me trying football? <laughs> and now the, every division one school that recruited me in track said no, except <laughs> for Oregon. Oregon, they said, you know, if you come run for the Ducks, we'll, we'll give you our blessing and you can walk on the second year if the head coach will allow you to do it. And, and that's all I needed to hear. And so that second year, I, I started watching the Oregon football practices during the spring. I was kind of sizing up the guys and seeing how big they were, if they were that much bigger than me. And then I realized that they weren't and I could do this. And so the next day I stood on the field because I was waiting for the coach to kick me off. Like, <laughs> he's going to know why I'm here. And sure enough, the head coach, Rich Brooks, he came down there. He saw me. He's like, Burden, you're the track kid. What are you doing out here? And I was like, Coach, I want to, I want to play. And he, he's looking at me now. I'm like five nine, one fifty, and he's like, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, needless to say, I talked him into it. He said you can walk on this fall, and so I, I walked on for the Ducks. And 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 I'll tell you what. Here's a teaching point for everybody because that day one, there was fourteen wide receivers on the depth chart, and I was number thirteen. So. Uh -huh. Most people, when you see something like that, a situation, you might start thinking, well, this is a waste of my time. They don't even believe in me. They're not a give, going to give me a shot. I might as well just quit. Well, my mindset was like, how fast can I move up the depth chart? <laughs> I, I saw it as a challenge. And, and two weeks later, I was backing up two seniors and I was second string. So, so what I learned in that moment was that sometimes in life, you have to create opportunities where it appears none exist. I wasn't recruited in football at all, but I created the opportunity. I made it happen and had no idea I'd go and play nine years in the NFL. But when you think about that story, I created that and, and Oregon never recruited me. So sometimes you just got to do what you got to do. When you, when you get your moment, you got to blast that door down and make it happen. I love that. That is so awesome. And do, do you find that, um, other athletes have had that same experience when you see like a, a lot of people I've been reading a few different books where they compare what differentiates the good from the great like what differentiates LeBron from the rest of the, the athletes and do you think that it has to do with maybe having a struggle that you had to overcome that inner drive that's more than the athletes that maybe have just had the gifts it's you know I think it's a combination because you got two categories you got the athlete like me who's always had to prove himself and then you have the athlete who's always been the great athlete, the great athlete. But I think the common denominator between the two is we have the ability to push ourselves no matter what. Whether we've been great, whether we've been bad, whether we're too small or too big, we still have this mental coach in our head that's continuing to push us to be better and be better. And that's what I see like guys in LeBron. He's a gifted athlete, but how much work is he putting behind the scenes when nobody's watching? And that was me. You know, I was, I would say, you, you show that discipline where it's that ability to do what you need to do when you need to do it while no one is watching. And that's what the great athletes do. They're working out when nobody's paying attention because that's what it takes. That's awesome. I, I just read a story uh, this morning about uh, Ronaldo, and he actually came back and did his fitness testing, and it was better than before the quarantine. 
Wow. Yeah. That doesn't surprise me. <laughs> yeah. So he's, yeah, it's, it's so cool to see that those top athletes, like they have that drive. And then I think, like you said, like with yourself, having that, that chip on your shoulder also motivated you to, to get there and have that drive. It really did. Because when I was in the situations, like even when I, when I walked down in Oregon, I could tell they had their preconceived notions. Even the defensive players. I remember the defensive players, the very first practice, we're doing one-on-one. And the defensive backs are like, who's this little guy? Who let the track guy out here? He can't hang with us. So right away, they started sizing me up. And I knew that. So I showed them that I was going to hit them. I was going to die for the balls. I would do whatever it took to show them I belong. And eventually, they were like, OK, this guy's the real deal. But those are situations that I always flourished in. And even when I got to the NFL, because um, I was not your prototypical college wide receiver. I didn't have great stats. I had one touchdown four years in Oregon playing football, you know. My senior year, I had like 19 catches. Those are NFL wide receiver caliber stats. So when I even got there, everybody didn't think I belonged there. But the thing that I did I think was smart was right away I gravitated toward the veteran wide receivers. I said, what can I learn from these guys? Because they've been here already, and I knew they could cut down that inevitable learning curve. So I learned from different guys, and then I just, you know, I just, you know, put it to work and was very consistent in, in my production. That is awesome. No, oh, I, I, I really like that. And uh, another thing I saw is, like, you spent nine seasons in the NFL, and I think some people who aren't perhaps in sports or not familiar with the NFL, they gravitate to those, you know, the Tom Brady's or whatever the athlete is that they see a bit, has been in it forever. But that's not the case for most athletes, especially in the NFL. It's, you know, I think you, you had on your website less than two years is the average athlete. So how did you manage to, you know, have that background and then fight for nine years in, in, in the league when most people, you know, they're in and out? Yeah, I think you make a great point because people don't realize that because you think about the game of football that's been around for 100 years, there's been 20,000 men who've ever played the game. And the average career is less than two years, you know. And then you look at each season, there's 1,696 men that are battling for a roster spot. And so I knew of the odds, but I didn't allow the odds to control me. The odds don't mean anything unless you allow them to mean something. I realized that I need to get in there and do the work and prove myself. But I was always one of those athletes that, you know, I was putting in the extra time, not just not just physically, but also the preparation. Uh, I realized that when I got to the NFL, the game is so much faster. Everybody's a great athlete. So it's those little two, per, two to 3% incremental improvements in your game that would separate you. And a lot of times it was understanding the game mentally and being able to make decisions under pressure uh, on a, uh, um, when, the, you know, when the game's on the line, you know, and that's where a lot of athletes are struggling. They couldn't perform under pressure. So, so once I made it, the best thing I did was, was I never forgot the journey. I never for, forgot what it took to make it. So I never got complacent. Every day, every year was like, how can I be better than the last season? How can I be better than the last week? Because I would see athletes fall into that complacency trap where they might have a great game and the next week they kind of disappear. Or they might have a great year and then the next season they disappear. But the great ones are always able to just say what's next and keep challenging themselves. And that's what I tried to do. 
Wow. Yeah, that's a great perspective because I think, you know, even if there's people who are going through being drafted, whether it's to uh, they're getting scouted or they're getting drafted to the NFL, you know, I think a lot of people look from the outside in and say, wow, they have made it. But you have to earn your spot every single day. Yes. Yes, you do. And one problem I would see with like some of the great college athletes who come into the NFL because, you know, have this amazing career. And then you get to the NFL and you realize that everybody's a great athlete here. Some would come in with this entitlement mentality, you know, like, oh, I, I know I'm going to make it. I deserve to make it. I deserve to play. NFL doesn't work that way. <laughs> I came into the NFL as a world-class long jumper. I qualified for the 1980 Olympic trials long jump. They didn't care. They were like, you got to prove you deserve to be here, and you got to earn it every single day. So the, so the guys who would embrace that would do well, but a lot of the guys would not embrace that, and they would struggle with having to really earn it from day to day. Right. Yeah, I, I've experienced the same thing, like especially in – like I competed in snowboarding and so you know going from you win all these local and national events all of a sudden you're on the world cup circuit and you're competing at events against you know the olympians and and the best in the world and you're fighting to come top 20 and you're used yeah. to like you know you're winning or top five and it's a whole different game when you get to that level like you know you're not you're not the top dog anymore yeah yeah it'll really test you it really will because you know, you, when you're at that moment where you realize you're not the top dog, it's like either you're going to step up your game or you're going to step out and move away. And I would see guys kind of fall in both categories where some were just not able to accept the fact that they're not the greatest athlete on the team anymore. And they didn't know how to adapt. And, and I think that's one of the advantages I had because I've always been the underdog. I've always been trying to prove everybody wrong. So even when I got to the NFL, it was the same thing. And I can remember when I became a starter in the NFL my fifth year, um, how the Kansas City Chiefs were bringing in tall receivers every year to try <laughs> to take my job. And, and I recognize this is a business. So that would motivate me every single year that, no, you're not getting my job. So I would make sure I stepped up my game. <laughs> Maybe that's a way they also motivated you to stay right at the top of your game. Absolutely. There was a, uh, a comic strip I used to have in my locker my last five years, and it was like the 100-meter race, and there was like all the animals, like the cheetah, the horse, and there was a human being, and they all racing to see who was the fastest. And the cheetah would say, why do I have to keep proving myself? Because he knew he was the fastest. And I would read that, and I would say, why do I have to keep proving myself? Because somebody's here to take my job, and I'm not going to let them. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. No, I, I enjoyed that. Um, that. Yeah, very cool. Um, what what would be like some of your favorite moments that you had while you were playing? Like any distinct memories? Yeah, I was catching up with a, you know, a girl I used to snowboard with uh, last week. And just those memories bringing back were so awesome. So I, yeah, I'd love to know some of those memories that you had that really stand out of from your playing career. Yeah, probably quite a few. And I want to give a quick shout out to my buddy, Uchenna Agru. What's up, buddy? I long jumped with Chenna at Oregon. I see you. You stay awesome. positive. <laughs> I, would I would probably say the first NFL touchdown is very precious to me because my first year I tore up my ACL and I was on IR all year with the Browns. And then they cut me the next year. And then I went to Dallas and 
I was on the team the whole season. I never got in a game. And then they didn't bring me back because they didn't think I was going to be good enough to play. But when the Chiefs finally signed me, when they signed me and I was 100%, it was a tough journey because I had a great offseason. And then they cut me. And then I sat at home for like two, three weeks waiting for a call. And then the Chiefs called me back. And then they signed me. They activated me. And then that next week, we played Seattle. And I scored my first NFL touchdown. And what made it special was because my family lived in Portland. So they're about two and a half hours away. So everybody was there. Oh, and my uncle was in the stands. And my uncle, I called him Mr. Uncle Sonny. When I was a junior <laughs> in high school, he made me promise to him that I would give him my first NFL touchdown. He's the first person that said JJ in the NFL in the same sentence. And I said, uncle, you're crazy. He goes, no, <laughs> you're going to play in the NFL. I go, no, I'm not. He goes, yes, you are. He goes, I believe in you so much. I want you to promise me your first NFL touchdown. And I was like, whatever, you can have it. So he's at that game. I come out of the locker room with the game ball and my touchdown. And I give it to him. And I said, Uncle, how did you know? And he said, you know what, nephew? I knew you had the ability. He said, but I had to pour belief into you until you got your belief to where it needed to be. And that was a really important teaching point for me. And I've taught other people that too, because Sometimes you don't believe in yourself. You don't think you can. And get around the right people can pour that belief into you because you'll get your belief where it needs to be at some point. I really like that. That's such a good point for anyone, you know, whether they're an athlete or not, because, you know, some people, they come from the big cities or they come from small towns. They have all these different experiences. And um, I think that being able to see, see that success or someone see it in you is so helpful because, you know, you, you might not be around the people who've ever done it. Like if you're from a town and no one has ever made it to the NFL or no one has even played college ball or whatever it is, then it's hard for you to even believe it yourself. Yeah, that's why I always recommend, whenever I'm asked like, what are success points and I mean, what do you recommend? Write in or I always say find a mentor. Find a mentor, find someone who's been there, done that, who's walked the road that you're trying to get on because that'll help cut down that inevitable learning curve but also pour that belief in you because mindset's everything. And if you don't have a strong, strong mindset, you're at a huge disadvantage because a strong mindset really separates the best from the rest. So in anything you do in pursuit, you gotta have your mind right. And sometimes you need a little help. That's where those mentors can pour that belief in there. Awesome, that's great. So did you have any mentors when you were playing or and who has been your mentor now in, through entrepreneurship? Yeah, I have a lot of mentors. I've had mentors throughout my life. It's like, I've always been the one who gravitated towards mentors, coaches, and all the way from when I was in grade school to high school to college. And, and the thing I remember most about the NFL was that every team I was on, I would always gravitate towards the veteran wide receivers. They would be my mentors in Cleveland and Dallas and Kansas City. And then post NFL career, I have mentors that you know, that, that advised me in my different businesses, you know, and like when I became a speaker, I don't know how to launch a professional speaking career. You know, I wrote my first book. I didn't know how to write a book, you know, but I sought out a mentor named Dr. Will Moreland who had done this already. And he walked me through the process and coached me through the process and, and allowed me to, to, to launch my speaking career and, and write my book. But whenever I'm going in a, a direction, whatever it is, I just seek out that person who I think can really teach and help me. And that's one of the things I encourage everyone. I, I say this, remember this, and you know this, all the best athletes in the world, you think about all the great athletes, everybody's got a coach. 
everyone has a mentor, don't ever be afraid to ask for help. Yeah. That's very true, and especially in business, because, you know, as athletes, we grew up always having a coach. So we're a little bit used to that role in, in a sense. But yeah, a lot of people, they start off in business or even trying to get a, a different career or whatever it is. And they look at everyone as their competition when really collaboration can make us all better at whatever we do. Absolutely. I, I firmly believe in that. That's a good point. So yeah, now now we've we've chatted about your career. I would love to know how that experience, like how you went through retirement. How did that feel? And you know, I, I know retiring was really tough for me. I call it retiring, but you know, <laughs> I don't want to call it quitting. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'd love to know how you made that transition. I mean, you know, I made the transition because I was always preparing for it. I, I didn't know I would play nine years and. When I learned that for NFL players, you're, you're considered a vested player after four years, I just took it one year at a time. But I was always planning for life after football. And one of the things I did back then that we would do today through social media, I networked with a lot of different people in the business world. I developed a lot of different relationships uh, in the business world. I remember connecting with a bunch of doctors. And, and because of that, those relationships, I became owner of a couple different small medical companies in Kansas City. Um, I, you know, I don't know much about, you know, the, the medical world, but they trained me enough. I became the owner. I hired the right people. And uh, I did that for about 10 years. And then 13 years ago, I wanted to change. And I dove into direct sales and, and network marketing, which I still do to this day. I love it. I work with a company now called Isogenics. And I've done that for about six, seven years. But Becoming a speaker and becoming an author was kind of always the goal because I felt that I've had so many different experiences during my life. I've traveled an interesting journey um, and a lot of lessons, you know, and making it to the NFL and I spent the time I spent there. But a lot of those lessons are really can be success tips and strategies for people today. So the content I share is all it's for everyone. It doesn't matter what you're doing. It's like, if this is the goal, let me share some possible solutions and success tips to help you achieve those. And that's why when you see all my content, I'm always sharing content like that. It's really for everyone. Awesome. No, that's, that's great. And what do you recommend? What, what would you recommend to athletes now who are playing and they never know when their career could last? It could be another 10 years. It could be, you know, six months. What would you recommend they do to kind of, you know, set up that next step? The first thing I would say is get in your mindset that you start preparing for life after your sport when you are playing. When you start playing, when you're playing, that's when you prepare. You don't wait till the last year when the career is over. You start preparing now because right now, athletes, when you're an active athlete, your credibility and your influence and your brand is so strong right now. Take advantage of that and spend time networking and, and meeting different people in different industries and be active on social media. And I mean it from the standpoint of that social media gives us a platform to be able to um, establish new connections, build new relationships and engage with others. And, and you wanna build that up because when your career is over, that could give you options, you know, giving you different possibilities in the relationships you've established. So I would definitely say, Focus on planning for life after your career now. Be active on social media, network, get to connect with so many different people. And the other thing I would tell you is this, and this is what I always tell a lot of athletes. I say, find someone in your current sport 
who used to play your sport, who's retired, and who's gone on to do some pretty positive things. Because they know what it's like to be where you are right now. And those veterans can give you some important information because I made some mistakes, you know, when my career was over. There's some things I wish I had not done, but I make sure I share those lessons I learned with these athletes today so they don't repeat them. Right. No, that's such a good point because I think a lot of athletes while they're playing, they said, no, like this is my one focus. I can't look at anything outside this lane or I can't give 100%. But I think that you can totally give 100% and work hard and, and succeed at what you're doing while also, you know, having those stepping stones and, and those that, that path built out. And I think social media is such a great way to do it because simply by showing, like sharing your journey, so it doesn't take that much effort for an athlete to kind of, you know, get those behind the scene clips and whatever it is that will give them a platform to, you know, like you said, have options after sport. Yeah, and, and think about what I said. When you're an ath act, act, active athlete, <laughs> you're playing, your influence, your credibility, your brand is as strong as it'll ever be. Even when you retire, yeah, you might still be popular. Right now is when your influence is so high. So you wanna, you wanna use that to your advantage right now to set you up for the future. Ah, yeah, I really like that. And I actually had written down that you had on your website, seize your opportunities. And so that really speaks to that. Yeah, yeah. That, I'm, I call myself the poster child of seizing opportunities because I think I've, I've seized a lot of them that have come my way. Oh, yeah. If, if anyone's just joining now, he talked about how he seized his opportunity to actually even get a tryout or be able to get onto a, a university <laughs> or college. Um, yeah. It's funny, up here we always call universities or colleges, universities, and I think you guys in, in America usually call it colleges. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, yeah, and that's, you know, that's one of my favorite stories to tell because, you know, sometimes in life I said, you got to create those opportunities, but when you do it right and you work hard, other opportunities will open up. And that's why I said, I'm just trying to make the Oregon football team. I wasn't trying to make it to the NFL, but because of a, a series of steps and a plan I followed and, and, and the execution, it opened up those opportunities, which led to the NFL. So, awesome. So, what what kind of or what skill sets would you say uh, help athletes become great entrepreneurs? I'm I'm a big believer that athletes make great entrepreneurs, and I'd love to know your thoughts on those specific skill sets that a lot of athletes have that transfer over. Well, I would definitely say mindset. You know, to be an athlete, you have to have a strong mindset. You've got to have, you know, just that ability to always have your mind where it needs to be. Because when we're playing and we're competing, there's so many different things that happen in a game, some negative and some positive. We always gotta have our mind right. So I think mindset, we have a strong mindset. I think athletes have an amazing ability to adapt to change because in the business world, change is always happening. And sometimes people panic when all of a sudden they're throwing a curveball, and now they have to do it this way or they change this. Well, athletes, we learn how to change. We learn how to adapt to change. And, and one thing I always share is like, when I was in a football game, often the plays were changed. Well, what would we do? We process the information, we make a decision, and we commit to the decision. There's no time to waste. And that's one of the ways we would deal with change. And, and then I would just say the hard work. Uh, we are not afraid of hard work. We're not afraid of making the sacrifice that it takes to put in the work to, to do the things you want to achieve. And in the business world, I often challenge a lot of, you know, corporations and people I talk to, I say, you know, everybody wants it, 
but not everybody's willing to put in the work. How bad do you want it and how hard are you willing to work? And so I would definitely say the work ethic and, and I think the great ones have that ability to avoid complacency. Because even in the business world, you might have a great sales week, you might have a great sales quarter, you might, they still fall in that trap sometime of, of getting complacent, getting comfortable instead of figuring out how they can continue to push themselves and challenge themselves. And athletes, that's in our DNA. That's what we normally do. Yes, I, I, I'm 100% on board with that. How do you think, so I, I've talking, uh, spoken to a lot of athletes and they don't, they can't make that connection right away. But once they do, then they almost, they, they make that connection to themselves, but they don't tell it to others. So I think because of the power of social media and personal brand, and like you said, taking advantage of it while you're in sport, how can athletes who perhaps they've already retired build that personal brand on those pillars of hard work and all these things to show people whether they're trying to get a job or um, actually start their own business that they have those skills? One of the things I always encourage athletes when they're starting to really use social media, I say, well, think about your brand and break it up into three pillars. You know, what are the three pillars of your brand? What is that you want to be known for? Because sometimes people are out there, they're trying to be a jack of all trades and they're trying to show so many different things in their brand. But if you narrow it down to three and I say, and focus on that, I'm going to give you an example. So my three pillars are athlete, entrepreneur. So that allows me to post content about being a former athlete, being an entrepreneur, talking about my speaking, motivation, all that stuff. The second one is family. You know, that's part of my brand. I've been married almost 30 years. I have three children, you know, five, bi or five, or five adopted nieces and nephews and three biological. So I love to talk about family. I love to share that. And the last one is health. I'm into health. So whenever you go to any of my social media platforms, I'm usually tapping into one of those pillars. So people know what they're gonna get from me because it revolves around my brand. So that's what I encourage people to do. Think about what those three pillars are and focus on sharing content in those areas. And that's what you'll become known for. And that's how you can really expand your, your brand. I love it. I really enjoy that. Do you think that athletes should start? I know like right now when, when athletes are competing, they might think, well, my pillar is football or my pillar is snowboarding. But do you think that they should start incorporating that content already so that people get to know these other sides of them before they might dive into those things? I think they should, but, but they, they don't want to just show sports stuff just to show it. Always have a lesson. Always have a teaching point. I mean, if you're showing you scored this touchdown, what's the teaching point from that? If you're showing this time when you're, you're running hills, what's the teaching point? Because one thing about, uh, as I know as a speaker, we're great storytellers. But every time you tell a story, you tell the story, you make a point, and you give them an action step. So even if you're writing a post and a caption, just always try to follow that recipe because then people will see, oh, not only did he score this cool touchdown, but there's a teaching point behind it. He actually taught me something. And when you do that more consistently, that's what drives people to your content. Oh, yeah. I, I, I totally agree with that. I actually, I posted something called, um, it, uh, the, the topic or the, the highlight on the video was impact over hype. And it was that a lot of athletes I think that they, they go on social media for the hype factor. And so, yeah, they post, like you said, like that touchdown and there's nothing else. There's like a, a song lyric or something, whatever it is, because right now they're at the top and, or they feel like they're at the top. And so, you know, they have that, that hype. 
but it doesn't build that depth with their fans that that's going to lead to will, will these people follow you into battle will they follow you into whatever you want to do next or the minute you retire they're like okay well you know i have another favorite athlete now yeah and that's a great point and natalie let me just add this because this is what i see a lot of athletes do and not just athletes kind of very famous people a lot of them do what i call post and ghost they just <laughs> post something and then they disappear because they just expect everybody to come to them and come to their page and do all that when they should be engaging with people. Connect, like, comment, engage, because it's the, if you can have great content bringing value and then engage with people, that's how you build up your, your, your audience and, and have that authenticity and people see the value when they do connect with you. So yeah, a lot of people out there are posting and ghosting. They need to stop doing that. <laughs> I, I totally agree. I think, you know, sometimes uh, I think athletes, they worry maybe even about judgment of overposting or whatever it is. And even just, you know, I've experienced it too, just with peers in and out of sport. And I think the, the game changer in a way for athletes is if they do, they start posting and not posting and ghosting and, you know, giving those tips they start getting these messages that are really meaningful. Not people saying like, just like, oh, cool, leaving a heart or whatever it is. Like they get these, these meaningful yeah. messages and all of a sudden it gets them inspired to keep posting those types of things versus if they just post and ghost, they never build that depth within themselves either. Good point. That's, that's, a, that's an excellent point. And that's why a lot of times when I post anything, and, and if you ever see me ever post anything NFL wise, there's always a lesson behind i always call it lessons from the gridiron you know it's and a lot of times too and i'll tell people it's not about football it's not about football i'm just taking something in the past that taught me something and i want to share it with you and hopefully it'll help you succeed in some way right no i totally agree i think even if, if people aren't an athlete the, the power in their personal story and that past is you know it don't underestimate it because that's what makes you you a lot of people say like here's how to build a personal brand and like they give you their five-step formula and you follow it to a T and all of a sudden every page looks the same. They're <laughs> reposting the same quotes or whatever it is. But I think, you know, if you can put that twist where you're sharing your personal story, no one yeah. else has the same personal story as you do. So that's what's going to really make you stand out and attract your people to you. Yeah. Yeah. We're all unique. And I think it's important for everyone to figure out what makes them unique or what value they bring in. And I know for myself, that's why you see on my website, little guy, underdog, you know, because i that's me. And so I know there's people out there who feel like an underdog, who feel like their back's against the wall. And so I want to share that kind of content to help them overcome that because I think that's what makes me unique. I mean, even as a speaker, there's not a lot of speakers who are 5'10", 160 pounds and played nine years in the NFL. I know it makes me unique, so I, I, I try to really keep my content right around that because that's what makes me special. Right. No, I really like that. I talked to another athlete recently, and he told me the same thing. Like, his whole thing was being fast. And so he's the fastest, so might as well go all in on that instead of try to focus and be like all the other players on his team. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I came up with this acronym because I was talking a lot about failures and adversities and setbacks. So I came up with this acronym called FASCO. And it means failures, adversities, setbacks, challenges, and obstacles. Because I found that I was always talking about the subject matter and I felt it fit together because we've always dealt with something that is unexpected, that caught us off guard, or that's blocking us from achieving a goal. We might deal with the struggle and letdown. So I like to package that and say, hey, 
let me show you how to conquer FASCO, how to conquer those moments in your life. That's awesome. So uh, we, we talked a lot about obstacles and turning those into opportunities. And, and you spoke about it a lot throughout your career. How are you turning like this whole quarantine time where, you know, we can't do business as usual, perhaps into an opportunity for you? And how would you advise other people who are maybe struggling of how they can, you know, keep working towards their goals during this time? Yeah, well, first thing I would say is you got to get your mind right. You know, get your mind right, you know, because again, mindset is everything. It's like my friend Eugenia said, I always tell people to stay positive because people with a positive mindset, they see the bright side of everything. You know, they wake up, they got the right attitude, they're ready to go in spite of what's happened. So say, let's get your mind right. And then I would say, assess the situation. I mean, look at what's happening here. I mean, how bad is the situation for you or how good is it? You know, so you know what you're dealing with because that's what I did. I was like, well, okay, I can't go here. I can't go here, but I can still work for my house. I still have technology. I still have, I can still do my job. And then I had to put together a game plan. And that's why I tell people, you know, when there's a true commitment to a goal, you got to have a game plan somewhere. So put some kind of plan, some kind of strategy you can follow. And then you just got to do the work. I mean, you've got to be willing to do the work. And you've heard me say it a couple of times. And sometimes I'm a little insensitive to some of the people I work. And I just say, blah, 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 do the work. I don't want to hear any excuses. Just go do the work. And, and then just got to maintain your focus because there's a lot of distractions out there that are trying to grab our attention. And we really have to protect our focus. And I like to say, you gotta protect your focus like a million dollar suitcase. I mean, if you had a million dollars in a suitcase and you're walking through the airport, how are you gonna treat that suitcase? Are you just gonna be like, hey, here, will you hold this? And I gotta go to the bathroom. No, you're gonna protect it because you know the value in it. Well, that's how you have to do. You have to protect your focus and know the value and the potential you have when you're staying locked in on your goal with laser focus. Oh, uh, yeah, I really like that. And I find that, you know, that there's been kind of two, two different people throughout the quarantine time. And it's, yeah, one who are, everything is out of focus because everything's changing. Or then there's some, and like I know personally, I, I found because, you know, I'm stuck at home. I, I can't go anywhere else. So what my only choice is to focus like it's like you have that you know that very productive time because you're not being dragged to you know your friends aren't inviting you out to the bar they're not uh yeah asking you to hang out all the time and oh hey i'm off work like everyone is in their own house <laughs> yeah i mean it's a good reminder that we all have to focus on or let's see we got to control we can control we can't control everything that happens around us, but there's certain things we can't control. We can control when we wake up in the morning and we start our job, you know, when we start doing our do, and that's what we can control. And that's what I try to focus on is what can I do today that makes me better than I was the day before. Yeah, 100%. So now I know I've seen some of your, your fitness posts and your stories and your health and wellness coming from uh being a pro athlete how did you transition into you know that's a whole different type of training than training for life and you know maybe spending a lot of your time online or working how do you still take care of your health and understand that you know it's not the same as as how you were training before yeah i made a pack uh my last year in the nfl because my last year i tore my right acl ligament and and when i was recovering dr bishop Atlanta Falcons doctor, he says, JJ, I'm gonna give you some advice. He says, don't stop working out, take care of your health and keep control of your weight. He says, if you don't, you are gonna have a lot of surgeries by the time you're 40. So I made up in my mind, Natalie, I said, I'm gonna do my best to live the healthy lifestyle. 
and work out as hard as I can, as long as I can. And, you know, I've had three knee surgeries and I've had a couple of shoulder surgeries, but, but I've been able to maintain my weight. I know that's made a big difference, but it's just kind of what I do. It's part of my life, a healthy lifestyle. I'm always active. And that's why I chose the Isogenics Nutrition because I knew I needed to step up my nutrition too and get serious too. So a combination of that has really allowed me to be able to just stay fit and stay active as, as long as I can. So it's just part of what I do. It's part of my life. Awesome. Do you have three tips for anyone who's a non-athlete or athlete for you know staying fit and healthy during this time while they might be still stuck at home? Yeah, I would say the first thing is find a good nutritional plan because it's 80% what we put in our body and 20% what we do with our body. So find something that makes sense and that you can stick to. The second thing is get with, if you need a trainer or not, but create some kind of fitness program that you can incorporate in your life and just try to be consistent. We're not saying you got to go out and run a marathon. Just be <laughs> consistent, you know. And the last thing is I'd say find some accountability partners. Be a part of a team. Be a part of a community because we all need to be pushed. We all need to be motivated. We all need to be encouraged. So if you've got an accountability partner or a community of people and you're all doing it together, it just really helps you, especially when you have those bad days, those wall-kicking moments where you've got a team there that's going to push you. They're going to make help you get through it. So I would say nutritional plan, fitness plan, and be part of a community that's going to push you. For sure. So like, like you said, like always have that mentor or those people who are, they believe in you and they're pushing you and, and, you know, rising you up as well as always having a plan. And that seems like something you've always really stuck to is having that game plan. Like, you know, that's what I've gotten out of this conversation is definitely have a game plan. Well, you're an athlete and you know the importance of structure as athletes. We were always told where to be, when to be there, <laughs> what to do. And so when I retired, I've tried to maintain that same structure like Sunday nights I set up my schedule for the week and then every night I check my schedule because I want to wake up in the morning hit the ground running because that's how I've been productive all of all the years is just always having that structure and it works really well for me right would there be like three top kind of habits that you have every single day or there might be more there might be less that are like the biggest game changers for you Oh, that's a really good question. Um, because I think about, you know, we should all have our own, what do you call it, our daily method of operation. It's like, what are the fundamental things you do every single day to keep you on track of your goals? And I think everybody's going to be different. But, you know, for me, it's I, I get up, I, I check my schedule. I'm an organizer. So that's the first thing. My schedule is in place. Second thing is, I'm going to get that workout in. <laughs> I'm going to find a way to get that workout in. And I think the third thing really for me is that I'm just a relentless hard worker. Nobody's going to outwork me. And a combination of those three every single day is really what keeps me on track as I'm trying to be productive as an entrepreneur. That is great. Yeah, that's awesome. Are there any like productivity tips that you do with whether it's time blocking? I know everyone has their own methodologies, anything that, you know, people who might be at home with their kids and their families can do to, to be productive during that work time? Well, I, well, that's a good question. I'll tell you one of my little secrets. This guy right here, this is my 15 minute hourglass because social media is part of what we do. You know, I'm on it for my businesses and I'm connecting with people, but social media can just suck up your time. It can be a time waster. So I do these little 
incremental, you know, uh, times during the day where I jump on for 15 minutes and then I jump off. I jump on, I jump off because when I'm on there, I want to be productive. I want to be on point. I want to do what I need to do, but I don't want to be on there all day. <laughs> so I just use this hourglass that sits right here and I know that I got 15 minutes. If I want to engage with people on Instagram or LinkedIn or Facebook or Twitter, I got 15 minutes. And I'll do that a couple times through the day. And it just helps me be more productive and also to just make sure I'm not wasting time, if you know what I mean. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. And I think that's so true. You, especially during this time, I think everyone's seen their screen time rise like crazy. And I know m myself included, especially because I, I work on social media. Yeah, I go on and all of a sudden I'm like, oh my gosh, where'd the afternoon go? And I had all this other work that I had to do. Like, you know, even just creating the content that I'm going to put on social media. I know, I know. And then and when I'm doing really important projects, if I'm, I need to be really focused, I will turn my phone off. I will turn off the notifications. I will get away from the screen because I want to make sure that I give this project full attention. Because if you've got these distractions around, it can definitely affect your production. So there are times that I just like shut it all off so I can focus on doing what I need to do. Yeah, no, that's such a good point. I think also like the people who are checking social media, one thing I try to do is, and, um, and, and even just tell my clients or whatever it is, is like, you know, outline the, the priority. So if someone is, if they run a business and they're on social media, so they know they need to use it for business purposes, not just like finding the new viral video. Yeah. Um, it's like, okay, what are those top things you need to do? Is it reaching out to, to people in, in your community? Is it going through, you know, locational hashtags and finding those things? But if you can stick to those few things, have them every day, you're going to make that progress versus if you just say, you know, I'm going to spend an hour every day on social media. That hour could be on viral videos. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's an excellent point. It's just one of the things I've tried to do to be productive is that when I put my schedule together, I highlight the three most important things I need to do for the day. What are the three most important things I need to do? And I write them on my whiteboard. One, two, three. And um, so the goal is to make sure I get those three things done. If I don't get them all done, one will move to the next day. But the whole process is write down the three most important things you got to do for the day, do them, and then do that again next day. You know, so that's one of the methods I use when I'm putting my schedule together so that I can be productive. Awesome. No, I, I really enjoyed that. So now I have just some quick fire questions that I like to, uh, like to ask and just get some, some cool thoughts and responses. Um, what is, who would you say is the best athlete of all time? Oh, man, that's a great question. Best athlete of all time? I might, ooh, I might have to gravitate towards track and field. I, I'm, I might have to go with Usain Bolt. I just, that's, I mean, the kind of times he's run and the, and the records he's established and the longevity, I, I, it's really hard to pick the best athlete, but I, I'm going to go with Usain Bolt right now. I think track and field athletes, they have really good crossover into other sports too. Like we've seen yeah. them cross over into to other things. So yeah, yeah no, he yeah. is, he's accomplished some great things. You know, it, it's funny because I find that with NFL and all those sports leagues that are, they run not the whole year, but they are right. on televised all the time. We yeah. almost like, you know, we see those athletes names more often, but Usain Bolt, like we, we know who he is, but we haven't seen him in so long because it yeah. hasn't been in the Olympics. So yeah. It'd be exciting to see him uh, next year in Tokyo. Yeah. You know what? You want, you know who was the greatest athlete ever played against? Deion Sanders. Huh. Unbelievable athlete. Unbelievable. And you could tell 
he was, it just, you know, because you know you're athletic and you're fast, and I, but whenever I was going against Dion, I knew I was going against somebody who was faster than me and more athletic. He was unbelievable. Wow. Yeah, and you played with Joe Montana. So. Yeah. yeah, definitely one of the best. That's awesome. Crazy. So what what was your favorite post-game food when you were playing? Favorite post-game food was I would go to Houston's for – ribs after the Chiefs games. I would go downtown Houston and we would go and get ribs. Baby back ribs. <laughs> I like where, after my Chiefs game, that's where myself and Brian Barker and our wives would go there after the game. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, what, or what is your favorite athlete quote? If there's a, and it doesn't have to be an athlete quote actually, just your favorite quote that kind of resonates with you. I think one of my favorite quotes is probably it's, um, those who don't study history are doomed to repeat it. I've always liked that because it sends a message that if you don't learn from the past or learn from your past mistakes or learn from other people's past mistakes, you're going to repeat it. But those who set good examples and did some amazing things, those are the examples you want to follow. So that's like one of my favorite. Those who don't study history are doomed to repeat it. I like it. No, that's, that's totally true. All right. So this is a tough one. Everyone always struggles with this one. What, if you could describe your legacy in one word that you want your legacy to be, what would that one word be? Family. Huh? Well, perfect. Family. You know, family is very important to me and, and just, I'm a family guy. I mean, I love my wife, my children, all of us. I, we got a grandchild now, so I'm grandpa, oh, so the first congrats. one. So I would definitely say family. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I know if people want to find you, they should go to jjburden.com. But what, if there's anything else you want to add on where people can find you, if they want to work with you, if they want to, you know, hear you speak, what, 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 what can they do? What actions could they take? Yeah, I would say definitely go to my website, jjburden.com and, and sign up for my newsletter. I call it the Burden Report. So once a month, I'll write a motivational piece, but I'm all over social media under the name JJ Burden. I love to interact with people. And I would just say, you know, Enjoy my content because it's for you. And, it, and it's about how can I help you achieve the goals that are important to you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time, the hour from, from your day to, to speak with me and speak with this audience. And you had some amazing, amazing points. And for those who tuned in in the latter half or later on, um, I'll be able to save it to IGTV so that people can listen to the whole thing and everything. Because, yeah, especially at the start, there were some, some awesome tips and it kind of built off that. Yeah, well, thank you, too. I appreciate you inviting me and giving me the platform to share. And I would just say, keep up the good work. <laughs> thank you so much. And again, excited to be your first Instagram live. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> All right. Well, I wish you and your family a great rest of the day and rest of the week. All right. You take care. And always remember, stay positive. <laughs> All right. Bye. All right, bye. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend, share it on social media, tag me at Natalie Allport, and check out my website, www.natalieallport.com. Thank you for tuning in.